0: Chair, staff is ready when you are.
1: Thank you. Good morning, everyone. Hope everybody enjoyed the Thanksgiving holiday. Um, welcome to the special meeting of the Planning and Design Commission. Today's Thursday, December 1st, 2022. The time is 10.03 a.m. And we will call the meeting to order. Madam Clerk, will you please establish a quorum?
0: Yes, thank you, Chair. Commissioners, please unmute and turn on your video. Commissioner Boyd.
2: Here, and I will be on video momentarily.
0: Thank you. Commissioner Buckley is currently absent. Commissioner Chase? I will come back to Commissioner Chase. I did see him on the call earlier. Commissioner Coville, Here. Here. Thank can you. you hear me? Yes, we can. Thank you. Commissioner Lindsay? Here. Thank you. Commissioner Macias-Reed is currently absent. Commissioner Pluckybaum? Here. Thank you. Commissioner Yi Here. Thank you. Commissioner Young is currently absent. Vice Chair Wallace? Here. Thank you. Chair Hernandez? Here. Thank you, and I will go back to Commissioner Chase. I can see him. I I can't. Yeah, it looks like Commissioner Chase is having audio issues, but
1: he is here, and um, we see that he's present. So uh, does that establish our quorum?
0: Yes, ma'am. We do have a quorum. Thank you. Thank you so much. Um, So brief
1: brief housekeeping reminders, this meeting is being held virtually via Zoom. So for members of the public who wish to join, you can find the Zoom link on the agenda. Once you have joined the meeting and wish to speak, please use the raise your hand feature when your desired item uh, begins in order to join the queue. We'll first hear a staff presentation and then open up the public comment period where the clerk will call upon you to speak. If you're online, you, you can click on raise hand at the bottom of your screen. If you're in the mobile app, you can raise your hand by tapping the raise hand option in the more tab. And if you're calling in via telephone to raise your hand, dial star nine, then to unmute and mute yourself, you can dial star six. The speakers calling in will be called upon by the, the last four digits of their phone number. So you will have three minutes to address the commission. Members of the public may also submit written electronic comments for the record and an email address and link to submit your comments online are also available on the agenda. As a reminder for folks who are logged into the Zoom meeting um, to please use the raise your hand feature for any questions or comments at the appropriate time and for commissioners to please uh, turn on your cameras as a reminder. So we will move on to the land If uh, I see commissioner Chase has his hand raised.
3: Hey, um, is my uh, video um, audio on?
1: We can hear you loud and clear. Thank you, commissioner Chase.
3: Okay,
4: okay
1: thank you. Uh, if you'll all please rise for the land acknowledgement. So please rise for the opening, acknowledge the of Sacramento's indigenous people and tribal lands. To the original people of this land, the Misanan people, the Southern Maidu, Valley and Plains Miwok, the Twin Wintu peoples, and the people of Walton Rancheria Sacramento's only seven weeks in history.
5: We
1: acknowledge and honor the native people who came before us, and still walk beside us today on these ancestral lands by choosing to gather today in the active of practice of acknowledgement and appreciation for Sacramento's Indigenous Peoples' history, contribution, and lives, thank you. Please remain standing for the Pledge of Allegiance. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the Republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. You may be seated. And um, we have only three items today on the discussion calendar for the special meeting. And I'm looking forward to hearing everyone's thoughts. So we'll get right into it and start off with the director's report. Um, is Greg uh, on? Here we go. I see you.
6: Good morning, Chair and members of the commission. Um, Greg Sandlin, planning director. For uh, just the update, uh, for last Tuesday's council, agenda Northgate Industrial Park was going to move forward because um, it was appealed. Uh, Both appeals were withdrawn, so um, the item was withdrawn, and it's now moving forward. Additionally, that evening, the new building electrification ordinance was adopted, and so that ordinance will be taken effect January 1 of next year with limited exemptions for restaurants and industrial uses. And that's it for the update.
1: Thank you very much, Greg. Uh, so we'll now move on to the discussion calendar the first item is item number one update on chapter 2.40 of the sacramento city code relating to boards and commissions generally and i'll turn it over to mindy for a staff presentation
0: thank you chair um
7: good morning i'm mindy Cuppy, your city clerk i know i have a lot of business today so i will be brief Um, for background last june the mayor asked that the pnpe Committee, that's Personnel and Public Employees Committee, established oversight, facilitation, and staffing responsibilities for city commissions. And over the past months, we put some structural updates in place and continue to move forward with steps to uplift commission voices. The first was the foundational municipal code that governs boards and commissions in general. And I um, am presenting today because I think it's important for you to understand the underlying code that governs your advisory body. So I will take you through at a high level um, a brief update on the code. So on August 30th, the City Council approved an update to the City Code Chapter 2.40, which is boards and commissions generally. Again, that's the foundational law governing city boards, commissions, and committees who are appointed by the mayor and or city council. Um, It is the intent of the City Council in enacting this chapter to assure that appointees for seats on boards and commissions possess those high ethical standards required of them to properly fulfill their functions, disclose any conflicts of interest that would render applicants and appointees ineffective in the performance of their duties or would jeopardize the interests of the cities, and protects applicants and appointees against untrue allegations with respect to their background and integrity, and to establish a uniform administrative framework for all city boards and commissions. So as you know, commissioners are appointed from within the community and are expected to represent the city as a whole, while promoting community and stakeholder input and taking into account all viewpoints. Serving as a commissioner provides a way for residents who have special experience or interest to participate in the city's decision-making process by advising city staff and the city council on numerous issues. So the specific role of most commissions is to review and make recommendations to the City Council on matters within its scope and authority and responsibility. And this is most commonly achieved by the commission at publicly noticed meetings, serving as a venue for public input and participation. So as we continue to uplift commissions to the same expectations, standards, and processes as the city council, I'm excited to be creating what I think will be a model commissions program that other cities will emulate. We will be a model of transparency and inclusiveness. Our commissions will be inclusive with a diversity of voices. Be transparent, all activities will be open to the public. We'll encourage public participation, follow consistent standards such as the Sacramento Sunshine Ordinance and Brown Act, and we'll have a clear legislative history of the important work that you do. And we'll have a clear and consistent process for commissions to communicate with and advise the council. So I'm going to step through the provisions very quickly. Um, this is no replacement for reading the code, which is part of your staff report. OK, so appointment procedures. You've all been through this, but to reiterate, um, all applicants must submit an application. Um, persons. Um, may be recommended for appointment by the PNPE committee or by the mayor or any council member. So concurrence of an appointment um, is always a full vote of the council. Um, city employees um, are ineligible to serve on commissions unless appointed in the capacity of their employment. And then for vacancies, we follow the same procedure. So failure to attend meetings. Um, I always think it's silly to say this, but as you know, we, can, we don't have a quorum. We can't hold a meeting. So failure to attend a meeting without a minimum of four hours advance notice, Um, of the absence to the city clerk is considered unexcused absences and three consecutive unexcused absences for regular meetings or absence from one-fourth of all meetings in a 12-month period shall be be deemed good cause for removal of a commissioner from office. So terms. Um, The terms for each member is now a period of four years. There are a few exceptions. For instance, the youth commission, they have two-year terms because typically they they grow up um, and then they're not eligible to serve. So um, limitation on a number of consecutive terms. So there's a limitation on two terms. To removal of members. So um, each member shall comply with the laws and requirements related to their office. Um, And that includes um, doing an oath of office, filing statement of economic interest if required by the city's conflict code, and then um, training requirements. So meetings generally. So each regular meeting of a city board or commission um, shall be noticed conducted in accordance with the council rules of procedure. And if a quorum is not established within 15 minutes of the notice start time, the meeting will be canceled. And then of course, um, as, as you know, today's special meeting, if there is business to be done, we can call special meetings. So ad hoc committees and subcommittees. So city boards and commissions may not establish ad hoc committees. They can establish subcommittees upon approval of the full city council. Chairpersons, so chairpersons, um, as you know, you elect a chairperson annually. Um, I believe the Planning Design Commission does this in July. Um, And there is a limitation on the number of consecutive terms. Um, This code also clearly defines that the city clerk shall act as your secretary, the city attorney shall be your legal counsel, and that every five years, the city clerk shall report on the status of all boards and commissions to the council. So in summary, we've done a lot of work to uplift commission's voices. However, I I believe there's still much to do. Over the past year, we've ensured commissions follow the same high standards as the city council for agendas, meeting facilitation, legislative history. They mirror the city council standards and processes. We've created a recruitment video, a commissioner handbook, commissioner orientation and onboarding process, and a meeting facilitation guide for chairpersons. Um, But I believe there's still much to do in order to continue to uplift commission's voices and ensure inclusivity. So um, we recently brought an update to the Council Rules of the Procedure um, to the City Council, and so I'll be sharing that um, update with you shortly. Uh, We are developing ongoing training for commissions and department staffs, and we're looking to expand our recruitment for all commissions with a focus on diversity and inclusion. So in summary, I, um, I do have a brief video highlighting our commissions program, and then I will be available for questions.
8: serving as a council appointee to a city of sacramento commission is both an awesome opportunity and a significant commitment the following information will give new appointees and potential applicants an overview of the positions roles and responsibilities the city of sacramento utilizes more than 25 commissions to promote community and stakeholder input most serve in an advisory capacity to the city council However, a few are quasi-judicial, complaint reviews, or appeals boards. Serving as a council appointee provides a way for residents who have special experience or interests to participate in the city's decision-making process by advising city staff and the city council on a wide variety of issues. As an appointee, you interact creatively as a link between the city council and citizens of all ages, interests, and backgrounds. You represent the city as a whole and will help facilitate active and inclusive input, ensuring that all voices are incorporated into any recommendation made to the city council. To effectively participate, appointees often have lengthy reports to review in order to prepare effectively for public meetings. Attendance at meetings is essential, The Ralph M. Brown Act, California's Open Meeting Law, and the City of Sacramento's Sunshine Ordinance have requirements to ensure that all city councils, boards, commissions, and committees are inclusive, transparent, and encourage public participation. Agendas must be posted to clearly communicate what the commission will be discussing and how the public can be part of that conversation. The order and conduct of Business of Council-established commissions are also governed by the City of Sacramento Council Rules of Procedure. It is critical that appointees only discuss items under their purview at an open and public meeting and avoid discussions outside the public forum. A meeting could be any gathering of a majority of appointees to discuss items under their jurisdiction. And discussions in non-public formats, such as email, phone, or text message, must be avoided. To ensure transparency and a high level of service, appointees have educational requirements such as ethics. Um, the Form 700 I upon appointment annually and when leaving. We appreciate your interest in the City of Sacramento Board, Commission, and Committee Program. An opportunity for citizens to ensure transparent, open, and inclusive participation in the City's decision-making process. Please visit our website for appointee resources and information on applying to serve. Commissions.cityofsacramento.org. Clerk at cityofsacramento.org, 916-808-7200.
7: So that concludes my presentation, Chair. I'm available for questions, should there be any.
1: Thank you very much. Um, So we'll start with, uh, we'll go straight into public comments before Commissioner comments. Um, Madam Clerk, are there any members of the public who wish to speak on this item? Thank you, Chair. I do not see any hands raised for this item. Thank you very much. Uh, Commissioners, who wish to speak on this item, please raise your hand. I see Commissioner Chase.
3: Uh, Thank you, Chair. Uh, Mindy, is this video that you just uh, shown us, is that available on the website for potential new applicants?
1: Yes, it is. Thank you. Thank you, Commissioner Chase. Uh, Commissioner Boyd.
2: Thank you, Chair Hernandez. Uh, I just need a few more moments before I come on video. Um, To Mindy, I, I do have a question if you're able to answer in regards to what was pointed out that this commission um, votes for its chair and vice chair mid-year versus the beginning of the year as most uh, commission and boards do. I'm just curious um, because I forgot to ask this question when I first came on. Why do we vote mid-year for chair and vice chair versus in January's first meeting as most commission and boards do?
7: That's a great question. I'm going to be working with department staff to see if we can um Change that process um, so that it is consistent with the rest of our commissions Um, Because right now we're doing um, what we'd like to do is once we have that rotation We'll do an orientation and training for chair and vice chair so that they um, Understand parliamentary procedure and so forth
2: Thank you very much. I appreciate that. Thank you chair
7: Thank you very much commissioner Boyd. I
1: don't see any other hands raised, but I, I do want to to um have a question as well for myself um i understand that earlier this year the commission um this commission established the parking revisions ad hoc committee and uh, now that this ordinance is in place it's we received an update from staff saying that that um, ad hoc committee uh, can no longer move forward um so i, I didn't see in, in the ordinance that it, the provisions uh, were retroactive just curious if there was a discussion about that um and or if if there's um um any further insight you can provide on that
7: yeah so the the code does um uh, any ordinance is in effect 30 days from adoption and so that code is in effect now council did give direction that ad hocs could continue till the end of the year so that's this december so all ad hocs will need to cease activities at the end of this year
1: thank you for that uh, specificity i see commissioner lindsay with her hand raised
9: Thank you, Madam Chair, Uh, and thank you for the presentation. Very informative. Um, If a resident was interested in finding out what positions are available on various uh, commissions and boards, where would they go to find that information? You would go
7: to the city's website. Um, We list all of the board's commissions and any openings that, that are there. I'd be happy to share a link with you.
9: Okay, so that is just the city clerk's website?
7: Correct, the city's website, and then if you um, go under the city clerk's department, um, and then you'll Mm -hmm. have boards, commissions, and committees, um, and that shows you all the openings.
9: Oh, great, thank you very much, I appreciate it.
7: And I will follow up to the commission um, with that, the link to both the video and how to apply. Okay, great, thank you.
1: Thank you, Commissioner Lindsay. I don't see any further hands raised. Mindy, thank you very much for the staff presentation and update. Um, So this item is a receive and file only. No vote is required. Um, If if there are no other comments, we can move on to the next. I see Commissioner Chase.
3: Uh, Thank you, Chair. Um, Mindy and or uh, anyone else, um, I I know we have, my understanding is that there are three uh, open seats right now that are taking applications, but I believe a number of other people are tentatively uh, terming out, do we know how many seats are potentially available on this on this commission?
7: I'd be happy to share that with you um, via email um, with the link to the application. I don't know off the top of my head. I apologize.
3: Okay. All right. Thank you, Mindy.
1: Thank you, Commissioner Chase. Vice Chair Wallace.
3: I have a
10: couple of questions, um, or maybe the first one is like an uh, observation, but it's related to what uh, Commissioner Chase just brought up which is that we have a lot of vacancies right now um, I think that waiting until the mid-year which is really the beginning of the fiscal year to appoint the chairs and vice chairs makes some sense because we uh, the council takes office in late December when there's a, a changeover and so it may take time for them to have folks lined up for their positions and that's um, been my experience a five years on the Arts Commission previous to this Commission um, and so I just wanted to offer a counterpoint um, and then the other question I have is um, what does the, the clerk's office do in order to help facilitate outreach in order to fill open positions on the commissions?
7: That's a great question. Thank you. So that's something that we're working on is really reaching out to the communities Um, that uh, we would want to recruit into. So for instance, the Youth Commission. In the past, we've really relied on the council offices to reach out to their constituents. So we're taking a more proactive view. So we're reaching out to high schools um, to recruit for the Youth Commission um, and different communities. So um, with the Youth Commission, um, it's up to uh, age 24. So we're reaching out to counselors at the high schools colleges and so forth. Um, and so we're really working to expand that recruitment so that we do get a diverse pool of candidates.
1: Thank you, Vice Chair Wallace, and thank you. Uh, commissioners,
7: um, are there any additional questions or comments with staff? So, Chair, the one question that did not come up was when are we going to be back in person? Um, and we do anticipate that to be March 1st.
1: Thank you very much okay i see no additional hands raised uh, mindy again thank you very much for the update um so we will um receive and file this item and move on to our second item which is the 2023 planning and zoning work program and i believe uh greg will be doing this presentation on this so greg whenever you're ready
6: all right thank you chair and um i just say thank you to the commission for uh, creating space uh this morning during possibly many work days um, so we can have this special meeting. I'm excited to finally be able to give this presentation. This is for review and comments. Um, and um, I'll be coming back uh, because of our limited uh, commission dates with December um, in January with uh, requesting that the commission forward the, rec- the program onto council. Um, so let me share my screen. you all can see that yes we can all right so um, the normal process for reviewing the planning and zoning work program uh, starts in September we've just had some busy commission meetings um, and agendas uh, the last couple months but I present the initial work program to the Commission for review and comment I come back with um, any uh, uh, additional information Uh, um follow-up that came out of the meeting um, where i request the commission forward the uh work program to council then i take uh the work program to law and legislation committee for their review and comment um any adjustments they'd like to see and then council approves the 2023 work program in january i think one benefit of of having this delay though is with new council potentially new law and legislation committee um we can help inform them on uh, the various policy initiatives that we are looking to do in the next year and beyond. So looking back uh, for 2022, we were very busy, lots of accomplishments. We established our community ambassador program, which helps provide uh, multilingual, multicultural um, engagement, outreach to the community by working with specific community ambassadors Um, where they can help inform uh, our planning efforts, um, engaging with the community. In February, we received a state's pro-housing designation um, in light of the many um, proactive uh, housing, affordable housing programs we have in our city. And um, I'll just note that we got a $50 million TURSIP grant for the Sac Valley Station um, because of this designation, not uh, in part because because we've got additional points with this designation. So it's helping, helping get a lot of um, financing uh, and make financing more uh, competitive uh, for a city. Our 20th class of the Planning Academy was grad- graduated last year. Uh, we established a web-based land inventory for the housing element so people can track sites that are um, and see sites that are available for development or have been developed. Um, released our preliminary public review draft of the draft climate action plan in July of this year. Um, we shared out the community working draft for the Stockton Boulevard plan with this commission. Uh, more updates on that. We held a council workshop on carbon neutrality in August, um, reestablished our urban agriculture incentive zone, established an ADU resource center online, um, as well as a housing development toolkit online, using um, grant funding from the state. And then, also in on October thirty first, we released the public review draft of the climate action and adaptation plans adaptation section. And then, as I mentioned earlier, uh, the new building electrification ordinance was adopted on Tuesday. Some remaining milestones. Um, for the rest of the year is um, we will be presenting our recommendation on how to finance the reduced impact fee program for affordable housing, to council. Next Tuesday, we uh, are developing permit ready ADU plans. We hope to have ready for the new building code cycle. And then also we'll be taking forward next Tuesday an alternative water systems dual plumbing ordinance um, that has uh, come out of the electrification New building electrification or, uh, ordinance work in um, helping us both save water uh, because of the climate and also um, help with a just transition of uh, labor that would we'll be working on gas appliances, plumbing, and the like um, to redirect that work uh, to, to dual plumbing, water saving uh, components. So... Uh, Greg, sorry to interrupt.
3: Uh, yes, so. ask the, uh regarding the permit ready ADU plans, when will those be available? I've had people ask about that.
6: Um, Matt, do you have the, the latest date on, on that? Matt Hurdle.
11: Good afternoon, Commissioners. Matt Hurdle, long range planning manager. We are uh, been working diligently on that. Right now, where they are is we are finalizing the energy calculations that we need to do. On those but they are very close so we our intent is to have them available uh, for the, uh, the year uh, and so uh, we will get an announcement out as soon as they're available but uh, we're probably about a month away for them to be available
3: okay thank you matt
6: so um, some of the projects we initiated in 2022 the existing building electrification strategy Um, Another aspect uh, in developing the new building is that we need to also, in in parallel, develop a a strategy for how to um, transition our existing building stock in an equitable way um, away from gas. Um, Started the Forward Together Marysville and Del Paso Boulevard Action Plan, um, the missing middle housing study, which uh, we'll, we'll be talking about later and on the agenda, Um, And then also initiated the mixed income housing ordinance review. Some work that we did not anticipate in 2022 is reestablishing the urban agriculture incentive zone. Looking into researching the viability of digital kiosks in some of our commercial corridors. SACOG had uh, established a green means go grant application, um, opportunity that helped fund uh, utility infrastructure for affordable infill development. And then also um, the city purchased a 102 acre site um, south of Meadowview. And um, we established, started working on the initial planning framework on that, among other things. Um, So at this point, I'll move on to the, the, the work program. The work program is, is generally arranged in, in priority with state federally mandated work that we need to do, council and commission directed city policy, anything that we just do on on an annual basis um, that involves some of the, the planners that normally work on policy. Um, things that are grant funded and then um, things that staff have initiated and would like to get done in the next year. So first off, I. Um, our general plan update, um, something we would like to update every five years, um, something we've been working on now for about four years now. Uh, it's been quite a lot of work um, and a lot of multitasking, but um, we're getting very close to putting out the public review draft. Um, it's something we haven't stopped working on, um, but I think the challenge is, is, is council would like us to start implementing aspects um, while we're updating the the actual policy document. But um, with new staff resources, we are feeling confident um, that we can get this, the public review draft document, all aspects out uh, winter of 2023 um, with the master EIR following some months later. And we hope to have a final council hearing on the document in fall. And um, we'll be looking forward to getting the commission's input on all this important policy. Mixed income housing ordinance, the significant policy for affordable housing key implementation program for the housing element, we have consultants on way and looking at currently the effectiveness of the current mixed income housing ordinance comparing that with the previous one, as well as looking at economic feasibility um, and impacts of either higher fees on development or a required percentage of affordable housing. So a lot of analysis happening right now. Um, One important housing element program we're we're looking to do as well next year is um, in in compliance with state law is updating um, where we allow um, emergency shelters, homeless shelters, um, whether we need to allow them in certain mixed use zones, update our locational restrictions, and then also look at, um, as a policy, measure allowing SROs, single room occupancy hotels by right, commercial and multi-unit dwelling zoning zones, um, and then also some supportive housing in those zones as well. Density bonus ordinance. Um, we hope to bring forward an ordinance that's simplified, that helps just, that can just refer to state law and have accompanying guidelines. Um, every year state law is updated Um, related to density bonus. And so this would create some more flexibility on keeping staff and and applicants up to date on what the the requirements are. Um, There's an educational campaign for the housing element um, on uh, helping community support, increasing understanding for affordable housing and infill development we'd like to pursue next year. We have a variety of new state laws that we are tracking and looking to implement. Um, This is just a short list here. One key one AB 2097 is essentially eliminates parking minimums within a half mile of light rail stations and high frequency bus corridors. So we're working on mapping and implementation of that law. But of course, yes, there's changes to density bonus law as well as ADUs that we're, we're catching up on. SB9. Um, which took effect last year with an emergency ordinance. Um, we are looking at our recent applications, looking at adjusting standards um, for a permanent ordinance, and it will be informed in part by the missing middle housing study that we'll be talking about uh, later in the meeting. Organic waste, um, that's required now for new residential development, uh, waste recycling, commercial development, Um there are space site design impacts with that. And so um, amendments to the zoning code, other sections of the code uh, will be uh, coming to the commission um, in the new year. Age-friendly action plan that was originally gonna be part of the general plan update. We decided to defer that, um, that effort until after the adoption of the general plan so we can continue to move forward or focus our efforts on the general plan document itself but it's an exciting opportunity to um, look how we can accommodate our aging population. Um, of course, it's ongoing uh, implementation of the housing element, the annual report, which we'll be presenting um, to the commission and council each April. And we also have a housing policy working group with um, some of the commissioners that are on some of the commissions here that, that attend and advise. Um, on key policy efforts and implementation programs. With a general plan, once it is adopted, we do wanna move forward with consistency um, between our zoning and the general plan land use designations. This would also likely involve rezoning um, additional affordable housing sites in high resource areas to firmly further fair housing uh, consistent with state law. Um, I had mentioned earlier the existing building electrification strategy done a fair amount of um, outreach, community engagement, establishing some equity guidelines, um, and we hope to have that strategy move forward to council for adoption in the spring. That would not be any type of requirements, but more so just a strategy we can agree upon as a city on how to move forward with this complicated effort. The missing middle housing study um, have uh, this has been grant funded, the key general plan strategy, um, working for looking at zoning and design standards that would be adopted after the general plan. Um, We've heard concerns about displacement, and so we've had an economic and displacement risk analysis we can talk about uh, later on the agenda, um, and then some of the results of our neighborhood level outreach and engagement we just completed um our vehicle bike parking requirements um we will be working moving forward with that in the new year with the rfp for consultant services a lot of staff resources were have been diverted recently to a lot of climate action and planning but um we uh hope to be back on track in january with this effort stockton boulevard specific plan um recently had a Event in October. Spotlight on Stockton Boulevard. Um, hope to have the public review draft planning EIR released in the spring, with adoption um, in the fall of next year. River District specific plan. There's been quite a lot of development uh, since the original plan was adopted. Um, we are scoping out this effort right now, meeting with key stakeholders, um, interest groups, and uh, this would involve. Updating the circulation plan and, and our growth projections, um, light of the new development. Neighborhood action, neighborhood development action team continues to work on various plans I've I mentioned, but also implementing um, aspects of the West Broadway specific plan. Um, their lead on the community ambassadors, um, and uh, they are going to be establishing a, a program where implementation grants could be um, provided to community to help implement some of our plans, our action plans. And also I think with these grants that we're considering is knowing that there's money for implementation, it helps with garnering interest in the the plans that we're developing. Um, So exciting initiative there. As I mentioned earlier, the uh, Marysville Del Paso Action Plan, uh, we hope to have the draft action plan available out in 2023 with implement implementation starting later in the year um, this isn't so much a land use plan but again just action plan to help catalyze development economic development along this important corridor in north sacramento the 102 acre site uh, down in Metaview, we are looking we are right now have an rfp out for a consultant that that will do an opportunity and constraints analysis looking at various land use scenarios. Um, And that would culminate with a council workshop in the spring with direction on some of the long-term land uses where we would likely move forward with a specific plan or some type of uh, document to help guide development in the area. It might be privately or publicly initiated. So those are some of the two options we're looking at. Plan Academy, continue to work on that each year. So that'll be our 21st year of the new class in 2023. Cannabis Code amendments. Um, we stopped by the commission on an initial just update um, background on this. We're looking at additional research and analysis and community engagement um, to move forward with those amendments next year. Digital kiosk re- research that i mentioned earlier directed by law and legislation we have consultants out right now looking at best practices um and we'll start community engagement early next year on this green means go we've applied for the grants for various infill developments um and so the work involved with that will be more just implementation coordination with the department of utilities and and um, some of the annual reporting that will be needed for uh receipt of those grant funds. Um, Stormwater drainage basin modeling. This, this started, uh, I believe in 2021, we will be wrapping this up. Um, it was a $750,000 grant from the state. Um, a key part aspect of infill development is, um, for our city in particular is drainage basin modeling. And, um, a lot of that is up in North Sacramento. So we hope with this, uh, the separate it can help inform uh, a lot of infill development in that area of the city. Telecommunication regulations, something we've been looking to do for a few years now. Um, Staff initiated, but we would like to amend the code for the telecommunication facilities to be a little bit more user-friendly and clear. Um, And then also could be an opportunity to look at design standards and um, analyzing the correct level of review uh, for those regulations. Um, Kevin, our new zoning administrator, is is continuing to look at opportunities to uh, make changes, updates to the zoning code for state law consistency, streamlining, and just administrative cleanup. So that will be coming in the next year. Uh, our sign code ordinance, I think it's now been five years. We've been wanting to make that code a little bit more user-friendly. Um, consider the expansion of digital signage, which... Um, not just with kiosks, but there's a, there's a variety of inquiries and I'd say upcoming requests by council to, to allow other types of digital signage in the community. So um, I think uh, if staff capacity is there, uh, moving forward with updating this, this code would be uh, very helpful. And so that um, covers the work program. Um, I'm happy to take any questions, comments, just some thoughts um, is that last year, we set out to do quite a lot. I think we have more policy initiatives than we've ever had before. We lost key staff um, in certain areas that slowed us down a little bit at the same time, but um, we're now all caught up. In fact, we've added a senior planner um, in the zoning section to focus purely on, on policy. And code updates and tracking state legislation. Um, And then we have a a planner that's transitioned uh, to full-time housing policy and development. We've got a new senior planner for climate. So um, I'm optimistic that we can um, move ahead with a lot of these initiatives and um, get this work that we've been working on uh, in this past year uh, completed in 2023. And just note that with the Draft 2024 general plan, uh, we'll have policies as well as initiatives listed out that we we hope to accomplish in the next five, 10, or, or 20 years. Um, and so that'll be an opportunity also for the commission to weigh in on the work program for, for the longer term perspective. And at that point, at this point, I'm happy to take questions. Um, I have the work program up if we wanna walk through that.
9: Thank um, you.
1: Yeah. Thank you very much, Greg. We'll first go to the public comments. Um, and for members of the public who are joining us via Zoom, now would be the time to raise your hand if you would like to ask questions or make comments on the work program. Madam Clerk, um, are there any members of the public who wish to speak on this item?
0: Thank you, Chair. I do not see any hands raised for
1: this item. Thank you. So we'll close public comment period and bring the discussion back to the commissioners. And I see that Commissioner Chase has his hand raised. Go ahead.
3: Uh, thank you, Chair. Greg, could you describe what's meant by the, uh, the the digital kiosks that in any way related to the digital pylon signs that the city knows?
6: The digital kiosks, um, these have uh, been utilized in, in cities like San Jose, Berkeley. Um, it's it's a kiosk, often on the public rideway, way, the sidewalk um, that can be used for wayfinding, public information, but also advertising. Um, there's been some that use have been used for Wi-Fi service, free Wi-Fi, public Wi-Fi. Um, the city potentially could get advertising revenue to help pay for um, other public amenities, but um, we just, uh, in light of the advertising and and the like, we're We've been directed by lawn Ledge to do community outreach to get the, the pulse of the community and also look at um, how these these kiosks have worked out in other communities and the issues that have come up so we can make informed policy. Okay, thank you.
1: Thank you, Commissioner Chase, Vice Chair Wallace. I
10: have a couple of things Greg. Um, The first thing I wanted to talk about is um, you have this point about like a more focused and inclusive sort of equity and community engagement process effort. Um, Mm -hmm. Ancillary to that, or maybe a corollary to that uh, (laughs) is um, how do we, I've been thinking about applicant success and um, maybe like unusual projects. Um, so part of this is sort of informed by <clears throat> the experience that we've had, um, with the cannabis CEPs, um, but also other small businesses that I'm aware of that have been trying to do some things that I think are fairly innovative and good ideas and like are consistent with some of our economic development goals, mm-hmm. our economic development goals and, um, getting through our processes takes a long time. And that is not consistent with the needs of people who are coming from the communities that we want to focus our equity efforts on, because as we all know, they have like less access to capital, which means they have less runway to wait for us to figure things out. And um, like a specific example that um, is in my neighborhood is this Naija Boy tacos pop-up at 15th and G, which is the historic Ooh. district. Um, the goal was to sort of like activate the land. Um, it's across the street from a coffee shop. It's an empty empty lot, and it's going to eventually be a development. Um, but the pop up has taken over six months to get going, and that is a limitation. that That's a challenge for the um, the operator, who is a person of color, who is trying to partner with the um, the ultimate like landowner and and project developer. And they're sort of trying to give him an opportunity to build his business and his cachet until they start development on this parcel. And it's had to go through a site plan or SPDR. And it's uh, only, you know, we were, we we're hoping it would open in May or June and it's, it opened in late October. Um, so like they missed that whole summer season as an opportunity to like make fun, like make money and, and get the word out about their work. And so I'm just curious, um, I know the staff are, I think the staff are amazing and I know that they are trying to find ways to like streamline, but I wonder if there's a way to think about, um, I don't know if it's prioritization or education or what can we do from a process perspective to help our applicants who are not don't, don't have access to like consultants and lawyers be more successful and expeditious.
6: Yeah, it's a it's a challenge. Um, I, I I personally got involved with Nigel Boy um, meetings with them, uh, trying to map out the process, give them all the advice, and um, to avoid issues and problems. And it's layers of regulation. It's city regulation, but it's also county regulation. Um, so and yeah, you you have capacity, and I, I was at a panel of of, of artists talking about that as well just the the challenges of establishing businesses so um i don't have a an easy answer for this (laughs) um we try and do pre-applications with uh with our core applicants i've been talking to kevin um about helping with site selection in light of sensitive uses um to help avoid them moving ahead, investing in a site, and then um, you know, something pops up that, that adds to the controversy and makes the path more difficult. Um, but then yeah, uh, often it, it is the staff, it's, it's, it's the applicant's capacity, their time, their resources, um, their ability to, to turn around and um, respond to comments um how you increase their capacity uh i think is 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 a good question
10: yeah i, I don't know if that's i mean that's something like you know in, in past years i might have suggested an, a subcommittee for <laughs> um, but i just think it's so, something to keep in mind i don't know if there's a if that's something that like, a staff member might want to like tackle at as a side project, but I think it's important as, I just think in terms of Sacramento, if we're really serious about inclusive economic development, we really have to streamline those pathways for folks. And this is one of
6: those. Agreed. And from a cultural perspective, just staff culture, we just have to be sensitive to applicants that have less means and capacity as well and be as flexible as possible. Yeah, cool.
10: Um, And then my other question is sort of related. uh, I was on the Arts Commission for five and a half years, so I'm always going to look for opportunities to support. <laughs> and um, it's my understanding that we've taken like the arts and entertainment language out of the general plan. And um, I'm wondering if there's any sort of an, a focus on like trying to create cultural districts or follow any of the other like sort of state level dialogue around um, leveraging those resources and also um, sort of building community uh, engagement around cultural districts.
6: Yeah, I, I, I and I think, um, I don't know if, if we have necessarily take that. Up. We had our arts and entertainment district um, in our zoning code, which had some various provisions such as uh, reduced parking and, and other things that I think just Became out of date, not so much removed or our code moved ahead of it. Um, I know uh, working with Megan Van Voorhees, um, uh, she continues to work on on some of these these issues, entertainment districts and the like. Um, we have uh, our senior planner Carlo who helps uh, be that liaison from the zoning side of things. But um, I think it's a it's definitely a good policy discussion. Um, to To look at our our policies in the new general plan that's coming out related to art culture, and if there's implementation programs um, to recommend on that, um, and kind of firm up this that concept, and yeah, look at cultural districts for sure. Awesome.
10: Okay, um, I have a couple others, but I think I'm going to reach out to you uh, as an aside because I there's still percolating in my head. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. Mm-hmm.
1: Thank, Thank you, sure. Vice Chair Wallace. Thank you so much, uh, Vice Chair Wallace. Those are great questions. Um, Greg, I, I, I don't see any other hands raised from commissioners for comments or questions, but just want to say really quickly that I appreciate um, the comprehensive list here and the presentation as well as in the in the staff report, no doubt that your department is balancing a lot of important priorities and obligations and um, um, key updates as well as um, you know to Maya's point really being innovative and in, in important ways um, you you already answered one of my questions that I had in my notes which is about the staff uh, vacancies and so I'm glad to hear an update on on that those positions have been filled um, so we look forward to hitting the ground running in January of 2023 and going forward there um, I do see that Commissioner Boyd has his hand
2: raised Commissioner Boyd thank you chair and I am trying to come on as a it- Handle uh, with on either device with the camera. So as soon as that will happen, I'll be on video. Uh, you. uh, um, you're welcome. And uh, Greg, thank you for the uh, information. I do have a, a few questions for you. I'll start um, with the senior, almost uh, say housing, but uh, plan uh, as you had mentioned has been put, will be put to the side, uh, delayed in uh, paying, uh, giving it attention. Let me put it that way. To that um, point, my question for you is: Do you have a number of uh, what the percentages of those who would qualify for AARP
6: community living? Uh, I I do not. uh, And can I ask what you mean by AARP community living?
2: Uh, I'll I'll clean that up. Sorry, Um, that would qualify as for A AARP as. in your presentation stated um, the correlation to AARP communities, meaning folks over a certain age, uh, you use AARP community uh, development plan. Um, so my question is, does the city of Sacramento have that number of how many people qualify to be an AARP member that would then qualify them for, this, for those communities that would come up? Um, To the point, if it's a, you know, one, 2% of the city of Sacramento residents would qualify for the uh, communities. Okay, but if there's, let's say, a significant percentage of 30, 40% of folks that would qualify, is why I'm asking, shouldn't that be in the forefront? It would all depend upon the uh, number of individuals, of course, that would qualify for AARP, that would then for qualify for the community?
6: Yeah, I, I don't have those numbers, uh, but I certainly can follow up with that, that information.
2: Thank you. For, uh, sorry for that very long-winded uh, question for a very short answer. <laughs> okay, next question. Um, the I was about to say regurgitated, uh, not a good choice of words, the um, recycled or dirty I not say dirty, the reused water, alternate water. There we go. That's the phrasing that the city is using. So that reused water would be water that is run off from down the drinking fountain, sink, toilets, so forth, and be uh, cleaned and then brought back into the building only as non-drinkable water, or I'll let you pick it up from the ore.
6: Sure. Um, it would it's it's gray water recycling so there's gray water and there's black water so gray water is um drainage from let's say washing your dishes um your hands and whatnot that water is treated on site and then it can be reused for flushing toilets potentially for landscape watering um right now the scope of the ordinance and please correct me if i'm wrong matt matt's been involved with this is it's uh Buildings of 10,000 square feet or more would have this requirement. We are exempting uh, grocery stores, uh, certain uses like grocery stores and food deserts, um, warehouses where you don't generally just don't have a lot of water to, uh, to recycle. Um, so uh, I guess this could be considered a pilot. But um, it's to answer your question directly, more directly is it's a it's a gray water recycling program, not not sewage that goes out to our sewage treatment plant, which does a really good job of um, uh, recycling that water for now that they're, I think by the end of this year, right around now, they have a tertiary treatment plant they've developed um, that can be used for ag purposes and and other things.
2: Thank you, I was about to ask on that last point that you just made, um, but you answered, thank you for that. And the last question uh, that I have when um, is the application period for the next uh, Planning and Design Academy, Citizens Academy, and when does that academy start?
6: Um, Matt, do you have that, uh, those dates, roughly, offhand? Is Matt here? Matt has stepped out. Um, I believe we'll uh, start advertising for um, the... Applying academy in in january um i think we start in late february march okay
2: um, relatively soon um but time for folks to get their applications and and i am sorry i do actually have one more question uh as you had mentioned the 102 acres in Metaview that sometime soon a rfp will uh will go out for preliminary land usage In that um, RFP, no, no, I don't want to say it that way. Um, In addition to the consultant that will be advising the city on, on that land usage, what information will the city be doing for outreach for um, residents of not only the local area, but citywide for um, uh, participation in uh, for the use of, of that 102 acres and specifically since now uh, after redistricting district 8 looks a lot different from what it did um, from what it is now to what it will be after january 1-23 so there will be a lot of folks by the thousands who did not participate in community meetings that council member Mai bang had simply because they were not in our district but are now
6: right so um the plan is is after all this analysis has been done, looking at inf- environmental constraints, infrastructure constraints, market analysis, all this research will be presented to council for review and comment in the spring. And then there would be a follow-up meeting, um, I'd say a month or two later, or their, their, their formal recommendations. So you'll have those council meetings to be to participate in, but also between those meetings, um, there would be community outreach um obviously to to people that were involved in those listening sessions and initial input on land uses but also um beyond that so we'll be working with Lynette Hall our community engagement manager um on how to get the word out
2: thank you Greg um just to the clerk if you would bring me on as a panelist on the my second device I would appreciate it thank you Greg thank you chair
1: We'll do that um, for sure, Commissioner Boyd. And to answer your question earlier, um, the applications for the 2023 City of Sacramento Planning Academy is, is open on Monday, December 5th, so just in a oh, few days. My Applic- applications will be accepted through January 30th. And for members of the public who are interested, you can go to the City of Sacramento Community Development website for information on the Planning Academy. The program dates are Monday evenings starting March through May. Um, so thank you for that and Bo- uh, Commissioner Boyd, uh, we hope to see you soon on camera. Um, thank you for your questions and comments and we'll now move on to Commissioner Lindsay.
9: Oh, thank you, Chair. And uh, thank you, Greg, for your very comprehensive presentation on the planning uh, 2023. I, was very glad to see that uh, things are moving forward with the dual plumbing ordinance. Uh, several years ago, it was really just a concept, and um, nothing is more vital uh, as the city continues to grow through infill and annexations. I know the annexations uh, are not done, and uh, water is the critical. In my mind, as long as well as electrification, but water is the critical component of of all of our developments. So very pleased to see that. Um, If I could talk to you just a little bit uh, again about parking. Um, I know I bring it up ad nauseum, but um, in in our area, it it, it is an issue. And so when you are looking at... uh, Taking away the minimums near transit-oriented um, where you know, where there's light rail and buses and hubs, et cetera, et cetera. How are you reconciling between what exists and what is proposed? And what is proposed is generally, you know, 15 to 20 years out. So how do you reconcile those two? What is existing and, and and maybe what will be built in 20 in 20 years?
6: That's a good question um uh, so reconciling reconciling the, the parking needs between what exists right now and um future development the parking yeah. needs for that um yeah it, well so uh, I will clarify: with these eliminated minimums, at this point, that's that's a state mandate now. Uh, so, uh, as far as reconciling the impacts of parking between now and new development, um, it's a it's 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 a matter of a, a lot of factors. It's parking management, of course, utilizing existing parking resources more effectively more efficiently um for areas like north of Columbus, with areas with no on-street parking those challenges are exasperated exasperated can't yes. pronounce that word yeah. um <laughs> but uh I think it's it's something that again it, it goes back to the management of of resources can we create more um on street if possible um and then of course the other ways of people getting around bike transit um it's a challenge and i think uh, of course in many cases developments while there's no minimum required they can still provide parking beyond the minimum so um that's an option but it could impact development viability we have uh, some affordable housing projects that are locating near transit station and hundreds of units and one is in 65th street station near the 65th street station is providing seven spaces and we're well you know that's kind of like what Columbus would love to see in a sense is it viable does that work for those residents um is there car sharing opportunities it's it's kind of puzzling in that situation um, we can't make them provide more parking. Yeah. Okay. So are
9: you able to look at, um, you know, areas by by needs and what's existing? I mean, I, I don't know how how um, what what the state law entails. I mean, does it give us a little bit of leeway in terms of uh, what's existing, what's not existing, what could be coming, what? what is viable in a particular area does it give
6: us a little leeway? Not to require more parking um, no from what yeah. I understand I, I talking to Kevin I think there is some um, some ability to do some analysis uh, to look at the parking supply but it's uh, it's the state law is, is done in a way that it you really need it, it's very hard to, to still do that mm-hmm. right, that that impact analysis you know, so.
9: is there is there a way to look at some of the uh, parking needs say in new new growth areas where there isn't really any um, transportation public transportation um, when putting in uh, parking have a reuse component that that down the line you know if light rail doesn't eventually get up here you know that perhaps there some of this can be reuse there's a way to reuse it or uh, adapt it to other uses with some of the parking that we may need now but in the future may not need it can can that be incorporated in to
6: certainly yeah um i think reuse of existing parking lots in the future is is a great opportunity to um that I, I would say under a current code we well, you, you can do that <laughs> Right now, so there is some flexibility in our zoning um, and our land use regulations to repurpose unutilized land.
9: Okay, okay. So, um, just wanted to bring that discussion up, up again as we look towards uh, reducing or taking away minimums, but um, being cognizant of areas that don't have the public transportation that's available in other areas of the city. So, yeah. um, thank you, Greg. Thank you Commissioner
1: Lindsay. I appreciate um, the importance of raising this discussion so next we have Commissioner Chase.
3: Uh, thank you chair. Um, Greg, I wanted to follow up on uh, Commissioner Lindsay's comments because uh, uh, she and I were both going to be part of the uh, the, the now not allowed uh, ad hoc committee on, <laughs> on parking and I had looked forward to you know providing input on that. I, I think there are many nuances. To the parking issue it's just not a you know black and white cars here no cars there uh, depending on the parts of the city and depending on the timing i think as commissioner Lindsay said um, you know i grew up and lived in boston for years i used nothing but public transportation One, for four years without a car we're not quite there yet in sacramento except perhaps for midtown and so i think following up on commissioner Lindsay's you know comments are how do how do we look at the uh, you know. I guess over time, uh, you know, implementing uh, area by area these, these parking restrictions where they're appropriate. Um, you know, there are many areas in the city that, for instance, you know, if there's a you know, food desert, there's no grocery store, people are not that likely to take light rail to do their grocery shopping. Uh, it's just, it's difficult and, and, and inconvenient, and, you know, probably impractical. So, as I say, there's a whole lot of nuances there that I had hoped to have been a part of that discussion. Uh, to that end uh, is there any way that uh it, you know either commissioner Lenzi and i or others could be involved in in this parking analysis as it moves forward
6: i i think that's something we're going to have to figure out in light of the the new regulations certainly we um, as the analysis progresses as we have findings we can take this to the full commission and have this discussed um have our consultant available but um it would seem at this point uh that these discussions would need to happen at full commission but i i think um you know in some ways that's more transparent and um certainly individually you can contact me with questions thoughts we can discuss one-on-one um, certainly open to that
3: will there be any community outreach during this process uh, that uh, certainly
12: yes and, and and given that
3: is there any conflict for a commissioner uh, not as a commissioner but as a, a resident uh, to comment
6: uh, in this process um when it comes to policy matters i i, I don't see a a significant conflict in that regard, in that with policy, it's it's council um, and you have an advisory role in that. So um, no, I don't see any conflicts with you as a commissioner attending a, a public meeting, To weigh in?
1: I see Courtney uh, unmuted herself no. and came on camera. Courtney?
13: Hi, yeah, I think that's fine. And you can feel free to call me as we get closer to that and talk about your participation. But yes, as long as you're representing you as an individual, not acting on behalf of the commission and you're not discussing it with more than a quorum
1: uh, of your commission, I think it's fine.
3: Thank you. Thank you, everyone.
1: Thank you, Commissioner Chase, for the follow-up on, um, on parking issues. I see Commissioner Colville has his hand raised.
4: Chair, sure.
14: going along with that conversation, Greg, if I understand it right, uh, on the ad hoc, we can't do the ad hoc anymore you could have a, a committee that you go ask to be approved. Are those, can those be temporary committees? In other words, if there was a reason to have a committee, it would be on parking, I would think. Um, can you go, we could still go and ask for a commi- a separate uh, side committee um, and have it regarding parking, couldn't we?
6: I don't know if the committee can be temporary. In nature, um, for one thing, and it's uh, it would be a public meeting agenda, Brown Act, all that that the public can attend. So, um.
14: well, if it could be temporary, if there was a reason to have a a side uh, meeting, I would think parking would be one of them. So, just something to consider.
1: Thank you, Commissioner Colville. Um, that was uh, one of the points I wanted to raise um, on today's uh, co- commissioner comments, ideas, questions too. So I appreciate you raising it here, which is, um, and we could have discussed it on the first item as well, which is um, while we don't have the ad hoc anymore, there is a process to establish subcommittees. We would need to request it to the Long Ledge and then the city council would need to approve it. And as Greg stated, it would need to be agendized as well. So something to think about and further consider for this body's um, uh references. Um thank you very much, Commissioner Colville. I see Commissioner Boyd has his hand raised.
2: Thank you, Chair. Uh, following up this um um excuse me to uh Courtney's uh assistant attorney uh city attorney um courtney's statement where it would be fine for any commissioner to speak in regards on behalf of themselves and not as a the commission um unless the policy has changed or I've misread it. Any commissioner board member or committee member for the city of Sacramento that's been appointed cannot lead a conversation one way or the other in uh, for or uh, nay on a uh, comm. Uh, excuse me on an item that will that has will or has the potential to come before that board commission and or committee. Again, if that policy has changed and or if I have misunderstood it, okay. But as I believe what I just stated is still holding true in regards to any of us speaking out publicly one way or the other. If we speak in a neutral manner uh, in regards to parking, which would be hard to do, but uh, that is my comment. Thank you, Chair.
13: I'm happy to look at that further, um, but as a general matter, commissioners are entitled to their personal, private views, right? And the Brown Act specifically talks about individual contacts um, being okay. So if someone wants to give their their views to Greg on a on a legislative matter, right? We're not talking about judicial, you know, quasi judicial decisions where you're looking at individual development projects where you must maintain complete new- neutrality. Um, But perhaps the best way to look at this is when we get closer, Greg, you and I can have a discussion about the best way to seek input and what would be, you know, what would be appropriate. We can go through all the hypotheticals.
2: Thank you for that, Courtney. Uh, My apologies. I wasn't totally clear in regards to, yes, we have our opinions and we can share them with Greg. Uh, My point was to uh, speaking at a public forum um, as As you had stated speaking publicly at a public outreach uh, offering our opinion one way or the other again if the city code has changed and or if I'm misunderstanding it fine um, not to belabor the point Um, I'm certain we'll all figure that out once this meeting is over. Thank you.
1: Thank you Commissioner Boyd Uh, Commissioners any additional questions or comments on this item. No hands raised. Um, Greg and team, thank you so much for all of the work that you do and for providing this update. Um, it's, it's, uh, we've, we've got a lot of work to do and I'm really proud to be part of this um, commission because um, I think we're doing a lot of um, good things. So again, this is another review and comment. Um, so we will just file this item and move on to the next item. Um, which is our final and third item, item number three. This is a status update on the missing middle housing implementation study. And I believe we have a staff presentation by Nguyen. Uh, Nguyen, happy to hear from you whenever you're ready.
4: Hi, thank you, Chair. Um, give Give me a second to share my screen. No problem. Are you able to see my presentation?
1: We can see your presentation and your notes.
4: Perfect. Thank you, Chair. Um, well, good morning, Chair and members of the Planning and Design Commission. Um, I am Nguyen Nguyen, Associate Planner Nguyen, with the City No uh, Excuse Nguyen.
0: Nguyen, I'm sorry. Yes. This is Alexis, the clerk. You might want to put it in presentation mode because we can see like your actual notes for the slide. Oh, OK. OK, let
4: me do that again. How about in, uh,
0: Perfect.
4: Okay, perfect, sorry about
0: that. Thank you. Thank
1: you.
4: Um, so um, yes, so I'm Nguyen Nguyen um, with the city's long range planning group and project manager for the city's missing middle housing implementation study. Um, for this item, staff will provide an overview of the, of the effort, uh, share information about missing middle housing, um, update the commission on outreach efforts conducted to date and discuss upcoming project milestones. Um, The project team is excited to update you all with what I'm hoping is interesting information on missing middle housing and to hear your feedback to inform the study. Um, we're also interested in hearing any feedback you might have heard from others on our outreach efforts so far. Um, So there are four parts of this presentation. Uh, The first part is an overview and some background uh, presented by me. me. Um, For the other three parts, I am joined today by lead members of our talented consultant team. Um, the second and third topics will touch on basic information on the missing middle and highlight key input we received from the community, which will be presented by Matali from Opticose Design. Uh, during her presentation, Matali will be sharing a short video on our outreach effort presented by Roshan um, from Unseen Heroes, who unfortunately could not join us today. Um, for the final piece, Alex from Cascadia will be providing an introductory overview on one of the study's key analyses, the Displacement Risk Assessment. Um, So first up, uh, I'll provide some background on this effort. Um, In early 2021, as part of the 2040 general plan update, city council directed staff to proceed with a key strategy that will allow a greater array of housing types, such as duplexes, triplexes, fourplexes, and bungalow courts citywide in our single unit neighborhoods, which we are now referring to as missing middle housing or missing middle for brevity. Um, To better understand the implications and benefits of this strategy, the city is undertaking a year-long effort to study and develop policy recommendations to thoughtfully implement the missing middle. Um, This study is an opportunity for a collaborative process between the city and residents to shape a local missing middle option tailored for Sacramento. Um, The study aims to inform conversation around missing middle and should be considered as a part of a broader community discussion on housing solutions and the many other housing-focused strategies that the city is working on. The implementation of missing middle can help to increase lower cost housing options and reduce regulatory barriers to the overall production of housing. Overcome patterns of segregation address disparities in housing needs and access to opportunity and foster more inclusive communities. um, Reduce further sprawling development patterns and support low carbon modes of transport, while also being able to blend into the fabric of existing neighborhoods. It is also a small, but a key first step in empowering residents to invest in their community through incremental neighborhood scale projects that can help to create wealth and ownership within the community. Um, This study includes two phases of extensive citywide engagement and and analysis to ultimately develop land use design and policy recommendations for implementation of missing middle. Um, In phase one, uh, which concluded last month, um, it was about sharing information with the community and hearing from residents on potential challenges or concerns they might have. Um, A more detailed overview of the outreach conducted will be shared by um, our next presenter. Uh, During phase two, the team will share preliminary analysis-based solutions and ask for community feedback to help shape the final recommendations that that will be produced at the end of this effort. Um, As outlined in the staff report, the findings of the study will be shared in the form of four key reports. Um, A polished draft of the informational report has been provided as supplemental material for this agenda item. The remaining reports will contain findings for a place-based economic feasibility analysis, um, a displacement risk assessment, and the final report, which will contain design and regulatory recommendations for future implementation. And with that, um, I will now turn it over to Matalid for the next presentation. Thank you.
12: Thank you, Nguyen. And uh, thank you, Planning Commission and, um, you know, other members. I'm just going to share my screen. And uh, since I will also be uh, presenting on behalf of Roshan, it may get a little uh, bit of a transition. So I request your patience with that. Uh, Can I check with the group if you can see uh, the first slide, which is uh, labeled missing middle housing for Sacramento? Yes, we can. Thank you. Alright, so as uh, Nuyen mentioned, um, you know, we have been actively working on this project for the last couple of months and uh, we've reached a major milestone with concluding the phase one outreach and also the first of our four documents. So um, I'm going to give you an update of uh, just where we are and what missing middle housing can mean for Sacramento. So very broadly speaking, what is missing middle housing? As uh, many of the commissioners are already aware, we are talking um, about house scale buildings with multiple units in walkable neighborhoods. And all these three uh, uh, criteria are equally important in shaping what defines missing middle and what is not missing middle. So uh, these types are middle in two different ways. You know, first of all, they're house scale buildings, so they form a middle ground between. Uh, the single family home and larger multifamily buildings, so they create this middle form and scale um, in within the built environment of our cities and towns. And at the same time, they also are able to deliver attainable housing choices to middle income families. And by attainable, we specifically mean non-subsidized uh, market rate, yet affordable units, simply through the facts that these are smaller units and they employ simpler construction methods. Here are some of the typical missing middle types for your review, and uh, this is nothing new for Sacramento. Sacramento has over 3,500 duplexes and multiplexes and triplexes as well as uh, cottage courts uh, across the city in different parts of the city. And we have been documenting some of these and also frankly learning from many of these because these are excellent examples of missing middle within Sacramento. Here are some of the typical characteristics of missing middle housing, and there are many, but the ones that I want to emphasize are the fact that these are smaller and well-designed units within these house-scale buildings, so they are very compatible uh, for placement and for very gentle intensification within existing residential neighborhoods. They do lay emphasis on both private as well as shared open spaces, thereby helping uh, create a sense of community. They do support walkable environments and they reduce dependence on driving. And they are able to accommodate not just um, a wide range of lifestyles, but also a wide range of income and age uh, groups, income levels and age groups uh, within these. It's also important to point out that uh, as far as the study is concerned, and our recommendations uh, will be based on what is not missing middle or at least what we are not considering missing middle because not all multi small scale buildings uh, satisfy these criteria as you can see buildings which don't actively engage the street and sidewalk which are large and out of scale with uh, what is immediately adjacent And the ones which uh, frankly don't uh, present a very pedestrian friendly frontage, such as having exposed parking or only garage fronts, these are not idealized examples of missing middle housing. So we need to be careful about, um, you know, these kinds of uh, building types and making sure that what we recommend for Sacramento avoids some of these issues. So for Sacramento, what can missing middle look like? We're talking about gentle infill without a very drastic change to the existing build character of our neighborhoods and uh, downtown adjacent areas. So these missing middle types would need to blend well within uh, typical single family neighborhoods that are there in Sacramento. And uh, at the same time, depending on the type of missing middle types that we use, we can also use them to create neighborhood main streets and mixed use centers. There's also the possibility for small scale infill, and that will enable existing neighborhoods to grow and evolve. So as you can see in this graphic, uh, if I had not color-coded some of these building types in yellow, it would uh, not be easy to spot which is a missing middle type, which are the yellow ones and which are not. You know, So the gray buildings are single-family. So just because they blend in so seamlessly within uh, residential environments, these are a particularly effective infill type for Sacramento to consider. Uh, Nguyen mentioned our uh, overall study, like the missing middle housing study for Sacramento, so I just want to highlight some of the key aspects of the methodology. So we are uh, very mindful of the fact that our recommendations need to be very implementation focused, they need to be customized for Sacramento. So as you can see through these steps, the missing middle study includes a place-based, context-specific citywide analysis. Uh, and as you'll hear later, they, uh, it also includes assessment for both market feasibility as well as displacement risk. So the entire intent is by taking on um, like fairly serious pieces of analysis such as citywide context mapping, citywide lot category analysis, also looking at market feasibility and displacement risk citywide. what we're hoping to achieve by layering on all these different pieces of analysis are a set of toolkits and which are ways to implement missing middle housing, but these would be customized to different built environments and different existing conditions within Sacramento. So in other words, we want this to be a solution that will work for the different types of environments that are currently existing and to match the vision uh, that the city has for the future development of these different areas. And above all, something that uh, we believe very strongly in, and we think that this is aligned with what the city is intending as well, is that um, for us to evaluate whether missing middle housing in Sacramento has been successful or not, we need to look at all three criteria of feasibility, as in financial feasibility, livability, as in is it creating a better environment both for the pedestrian and for the neighborhood, as well as attainability. Like if you produce a lot more housing, but it is not attainable to the average person without subsidy, then that would not be uh, the best outcome of this entire study. In terms of actual uh, implementation, missing middle housing uh, can be implemented on much larger sites, such as you see uh, an entire missing middle housing neighborhood can be, uh, can be designed and uh, the recommendations would include that. At the same time, there can be additions and conversions. So this would be typical of the way we see missing middle housing getting implemented. It would be um, fairly incremental. It would be at the level of individual lots across Sacramento. And as you can see in this example, it can start with a single family home. You know, we're talking about an own, uh, a single family home that may be owned by a family. And over time, gradually units can be added on. So like in step two, as you can see, a unit is added on between the existing single family home and the garage. And then in step three, as uh, the housing needs change or as uh, living conditions evolve, or maybe there's a need for additional income, uh, an extra unit, which is in the light yellow, can be added on on top of the garage. So this is just one illustration of how missing middle housing can play out in reality in Sacramento. And of course, when we talk about what the individual uh, lot would look like or what would be the change as perceived by an average person living in a neighborhood, it can be as seamless as this. So this is not like the prettiest traffic, but what we're trying to illustrate here is that uh, is a compatibility, you know, with adjacent existing single family homes and, um, you know, trying to kind of blend in as seamlessly as possible within these environments. So I'm just going to skip forward because I had jumped ahead. At the same time, um you know, when we're talking about design and recommendations, it's very important to consider that there are concerns and Obviously, there are valid concerns that we have started to hear from residents and other groups. And the missing middle housing study is not uh, going to ignore any of these. We're actively uh, looking at other cases, examples from other cities, looking at best practices to try and figure out what would be the solutions towards these anticipated challenges which would work best for Sacramento. So these range from citywide, um, very large-scale concerns such as displacement risk and gentrification all the way down to micro um, details such as how is trash going to be collected. And all of these are important irrespective of whether they affect one neighborhood or the city as a whole. And we would be looking to craft solutions that address all of these. In terms of regulations, because um, the final outcome of the missing middle housing study are a set of recommendations to update um, both the policy and zoning standards that are existing we would be trying to regulate missing middle housing by being very mindful of, again, uh, all these factors that I talked about, like how do the buildings Uh, live within the neighborhood? How do they respond to adjacent uh, homes? What are the essential criteria that we must regulate, such as some availability of open space, the location and access uh, to parking? Similarly, how does this respond to the street and sidewalk? In other words, building frontage. So all these are factors which are critical to control, and uh, recommendations would include um, detailed standards and um, other uh, guidance to make sure that these are addressed. Uh, In terms of community feedback, I want to start off, and I apologize, this is going to be slightly awkward, and I request your patience, but um, we are going to just uh, show you a quick video. This is because, as uh, Nguyen mentioned, uh, we could not have Rashan present for himself, so he was kind enough to record a video for us, and I'm just going to play this.
15: Hey everyone, this is Rashawn Davis with Unseen Heroes here today to go over the Missing Middle Housing Implementation Study. Say that five times fast. Going to go over the community engagement findings. So we started with community outreach broadly online. Uh, We used Eventbrite, we used Facebook, and we used emailers. So as you can see, we got a large amount of people in the know about what was going on. 11,000 people reached on Eventbrite. Facebook was 10,000 plus, emailers was about 19,000. So we really did our due diligence in getting the word out and spreading it around Sacramento. So as far as community presence goes, we did four workshops all together, two in person and then two virtual, just so everyone had the accessibility to be a part of the workshop. One we did in North Sacramento, the other one we did in South Sacramento. Here's some pictures, you know, just to kind of get you guys to see like, who was in the building from entrance all the way through. We had four different stations that people went around and they gave their feedback on different pieces Uh, One of the things that I I loved and I appreciated about one of the days was we actually did a roadmap to owning a home. Some guy came in and he was like, I don't even own a home yet. How do I get involved with this? So, you know, we mapped out this roadmap for him to be a part of buying his own house and being a part of the missing middle um, himself, right? Here's some other pictures, a lot of engagement from a lot of different folks in the community to like really have some Rich conversations. News media came out. And then this is the second day in South Sacramento. Same thing. A lot of community engagement. A lot of folks wanting to, you know, put their input into this, this project. Here's some other photos, as you see. Throughout the day and throughout the night, there was folks that came out. So as far as community feedback goes, there was a lot of good community feedback from like, this is so valuable. Kudos to Sacramento for initiating the dialogue. This is important work. Thank you. I'm excited because housing is a big topic in our neighborhood. I look forward to seeing the community come out and be an active part of the discussion. So a lot of people were grateful for even having this conversation and allowing it to be part of the community dialogue. Here's some other pieces too, as well. Professors from uh, UC Davis were, you know, letting their grad students know that if they participate, they get hours, you know, so it really made it a real community um, engagement by inviting a lot of different parts of the community to come through and Create that awareness. So, some of the asks that we found while we were asking, like, "What do you feel like you need?" These are some of the things that came up, um, and these are just things that we should know. People were asking for permit-ready plans. A lot of folks were excited to actually do this in their their neighborhoods and be a part of solving the housing issue on their own but you know asking for a little bit of help so a list of approved contractors would be helpful information on lot splits information on adus you know just any ways that the city can help make it better for uh, community builders to actually build. A lot of people said more of these workshops, um, more community awareness. As we got to have these conversations with them and share the other pieces like information on ADUs, we got to share the ADU project that the city just launched and, and directed them to the website. So it was a lot of Uh, interconnection, too, that happened while we were there. And one of those things that I like to say, the reason that I got involved is, you know, at the beginning of this year, we started a community development corporation, which is a 501c3 nonprofit, to actually help assist with these things. um, Because, you know, I'm from Sacramento, I was born in Sacramento, and I want to see the city better, just like all of you um, on this call as well. So with this decision to have this a part of the general plan it actually allows for folks in the community to really be a part of the general plan and be a part of the solution i always leave with saying we're not just building projects we're building community and decisions to include middle missing housing inside of the general plan allow for us inside of our neighborhoods who have been redlined and have been not a part of the conversation on purpose. And it allows us to not only be in the conversation, but actively have tools to build from within and build community from within, which creates richer neighborhoods, which creates a more vibrant city, which creates a more diverse city. So appreciate your time. Hope you guys make the right decision. And thank you. Hey, everyone. This is Rashawn Davis with Unstate.
12: So that was the video. And again, sorry for the slightly awkward uh, transition, but I'm going to go back into sharing uh, the rest of the slides. So as you can see, here is a summary of uh, what Roshan was just talking about, which are the phase one workshops. Uh, we, in terms of participation, it was interesting that most of our participation was actually online and not at the actual workshop. So these are all very helpful to us in planning out what would be the phase two engagement and outreach. So overall, again, to summarize, we had over 16 hours of open house and four presentations across two days in North and uh, South Sacramento. We had eight hours of Zoom workshops. And then we also had an online questionnaire which had some of the same content, but which was self-led and that was active for over two weeks. So out of all of this, we have 57 in-person workshop participants, 45 virtual participants, but over 380 online responses to the questionnaire. And what we've tried to do is to take uh, this entire effort of over 750 hours at last count of total participation hours from the community and from staff and from the consultant team and try to see uh, what these results are showing us. In uh, the outreach, as you can see, we were very careful in partnering with Bill Leonards, who's also on our team, and I think he's listening in on this call, and using his expertise with engagement to try and make sure that we don't miss any of the key viewpoints that we need to listen to, to make this uh, truly uh, a study that has listened to all different groups within Sacramento. So within our outreach, uh, neighborhood leaders, residents, housing advocates, business leaders, other CBOs and government partners, as well as local builders were all contacted. And not just in a few neighborhoods, We had broad and extensive outreach to make sure that we got through and we got responses and participation uh, from uh, persons across the city. But uh, that doesn't mean that our work is done for uh, the outreach which is going to happen for the phase two workshops and, and subsequent work. We want to make an extra effort and prioritize certain groups such as the older adults, youth, and other underrepresented populations. This is on the basis of what we saw in terms of the demographics participating in the phase one workshops. Here is again a summary of what the participation looked like, and I believe all these charts and some of this data has been provided to you, so I'm just going to go through these a bit quickly. As I mentioned, nearly 80% of the participation was online, and out of the participants, uh, here are the responses to some of the questions that we asked. Like almost uh, 70% of the respondents own their home, and uh, thereby we can see where the interest in missing middle housing really lies. And out of that, again, the figures are not surprising, more than 50% of people were spending a considerable amount of money on housing. So this is definitely in line with what we have found for Sacramento as a whole, and this was represented in the participants in the workshop as well. Here is a distribution. This is again self-reported. We had maps up at the workshop venues and also in the online questionnaire where people could um, let us know you know, which zip code they live in. So definitely a lot of participation in the central part of Sacramento, but otherwise uh, participation from other parts as well. And here is a summary of all the questions that we asked and what we heard across the four stations that were set up at the, both the in-person and in the Zoom workshops. So in terms of the biggest housing challenges, um, again, no big surprises. It's just uh, being able to afford housing, whether to buy or to rent. And in terms of just a general opinion on whether missing middle housing can help ameliorate the situation, the response was an overwhelming yes. Similarly, we also wanted to uh, get an understanding of what community concerns were about actually allowing more missing middle housing and implementing it in Sacramento. And as you can see, the, the above all, it's, um, you know, parking, as I say, parking is what, always brings us together you know, for good or for worse. So street parking and the perceived potential loss of street parking is definitely the biggest concern by far, but there were a number of other concerns and this really helps us in trying to highlight what all things to be mindful of when we craft the recommendations and changes that are gonna happen in the next steps. Uh, Similarly, in terms of what aspects of missing middle in terms of building and site design are more important for the community than others. Again, um, like many factors are very important, but definitely the building size and scale was top of mind for people and especially the relationship with the street. That, you know, it needs to look good and it needs to create a positive pedestrian environment. We also asked people, this was in station three, about their level of interest in uh, participating in missing middle housing and also whether they were interested or not if they believed if missing middle housing can expand on housing opportunity for the community as a whole. So as you can see, uh, there is, again, um, a very high level of people. If we just look at figures four and five in terms of a level of interest, we have over 50 percent of people who uh, are really interested in building missing middle housing. And in terms of its overall benefit for the city, it's an overwhelming 70 percent as well. And again, we wanted to highlight what are the motivations for people if they feel that they needed, uh, that they were interested in building missing middle housing. Uh, By and large, again, it's for two uh, key reasons for either housing additional family or for uh, adding additional income to be able to potentially help with their own housing uh, costs as well. And here is a summary of the takeaways that we found. Overall, 69% of people felt that missing middle housing can increase housing opportunities. Over 70% of the participants who have lived in missing middle housing reported a good or an excellent experience. Over 53% were highly interested in building missing middle housing and out of those over 50% would do it for the reasons of additional income or for housing family. And the key design elements that we need to be very careful about were building size, scale, placement on the lot, facade design, and open space within the lot itself. Key concerns included street parking, open space, and trees. So this is like a summary of what we heard, and I'll be more than happy to come back after Alex has had his presentation and discuss any of these in more detail. But for right now, I'm just gonna stop sharing, and Alex, if you wanna take over, please go ahead. Thank you.
5: Uh, Thanks, Mitali, and good morning, uh, members of the commission. Just give me one moment to share my screen. Uh, Can I get a confirmation that uh, my screen is visible?
1: Yes, we can see your screen. Go ahead, Alex.
5: Wonderful. Well, hi, everyone. Uh, My name is Alex Steinberger. I'm a principal with Cascadia Partners. We're a land use planning and economics firm, and we are working with Opticos on the missing middle housing study for the city of Sacramento. And what I'm here to do today is to provide you with a preliminary overview of our work so far on the displacement assessment toolkit. Uh, We don't have any findings as of yet. That's coming later. Uh, But for now, we wanted to give you a view into uh, what we're thinking about and uh, what the, our recommendations are likely going to look like when we get to that part of the project. But first, uh, I think it's helpful with a, an issue as tricky as displacement and gentrification to do a little bit of level setting. So here's what we know. Uh, we know that the city of Sacramento, like most cities in California and in the country, is in a housing crisis. Housing prices have increased precipitously since 2018 and even before that, and there are extremely low vacancy rates. Uh, we're not producing enough housing. Your last RENA uh, assigned you with over 24,000 units needed to meet demand. Um, but during that same time period, 2013 to 2021, only about half, even less than half of those units were actually built. So, so there's not enough, um, not enough supply coming online We also have a pretty good sense that displacement is already occurring. We can see it anecdotally around us, but when we just look at the numbers, that precipitous increase in price of the median home in Sacramento has gone along with only a 10% increase in household income during that same time period. So there's clearly a mismatch happening there as well. But we also know that you all are working towards solutions. Sacramento took a big step this year, got designated as a pro housing community by HCD and in your general plan you've identified a key strategy. To allow more middle housing in certain areas of your city so good progress happening, um, but there are some things that we need to consider if we want to implement pro housing policies. I think we can all agree that pro housing policies should increase housing production right. They should encourage a greater variety of housing types at a greater range of price points. And the goal here is to contribute to the overall reduction in housing cost. If we increase supply, hopefully we soften that that increase in price that we've been seeing. But when we do anything to increase housing production, we also need to be aware of some of the potential harm. And so we need to implement these policies in a way that avoids displacement of vulnerable residents and uh, accelerating income and racial segregation. So one helpful place to look to understand what's going on is at recent research that's been done. And there's a lot of research that's happened in the Bay Area through UC Berkeley and statewide through UCLA. Uh, There's also some work that's been been, uh, undertaken in in Minnesota, where they've done some middle housing work. But here's the basic overview of what we found. Not surprisingly, pro-housing policies, like allowing more housing types in a zone, yields increased development activity. That's good. And with increased market rate development, the research shows that um, this housing production makes afford, makes low income and moderate income housing more affordable. It's not a silver bullet. It's not a panacea, but it is a necessary thing to do in order to bring housing prices down. Now, when market rate development happens, there are two effects that we tend to see. One is rent increases tend to level off, and that's good. Five out of six recent studies have found that construction of market rate housing actually brings the price of existing housing down in the area where that housing is coming online. However, it seems to be most most affected um, in in higher income housing, so those existing higher income rentals. Uh, In addition, in some instances, some new data collected by the Urban Displacement Project suggests that new market rate housing coming online can increase slightly the out-migration of low-income households from an area. That is to say, accelerate displacement. However, this effect is not really prevalent and not observed in areas where gentrification has already or is already happening. So it's very geographically constrained where where this effect occurs. And in addition, that same research found that you can take actions to preemptively avoid uh, those... Those uh, displacement effects things like just cause eviction laws can reduce the outmigration that is caused by uh, increasing middle housing production or all housing production at a market rate in certain areas. So how can we when we're considering this policy of, of allowing middle housing maximize its benefit while minimizing its harm. Well, first, we need to understand what's going on. We need to understand existing conditions. And so we'll be producing a uh, a typology that's mapped across the city of Sacramento that is going to help us understand where vulnerable populations are and where gentrification is already occurring and where it's already occurred. Then we're going to use the research and through conversations with the public and stakeholders, apply whatever policy we, we land on thoughtfully. That could be uh, by focusing it geographically, though we ha- that has not yet been decided in areas of high opportunity, but low displacement risk, or by applying it actually more broadly across the city. Uh, because one of the, the findings that we've come across is that when you concentrate the geographic scope of a policy, it focuses the, the gentrification and displacement impacts in that small area. But when you apply it more broadly, it spreads that out more and tends to reduce uh, the amount of, of displacement that occurs. And finally, we're going to explore a whole range of anti-displacement strategies that can be applied proactively to avoid the and minimize the harm that a policy like this could, could bring about. So here's a little preview of what some of our um, analysis is going to look like. Uh, the anti-displacement strategy typology that I mentioned that we'll be mapping across the whole city is going to have three components. One is going to be displacement vulnerability. So where, is there, where are there demographic, demographic risk factors of uh, displacement? Things like a high proportion of renters or high proportion of low-income households. Then we'll look at demographic and market change to figure out where change is actually occurring where our home prices changing, or where are some of those demographic factors we just talked about changing over time. And finally, we're going to map where there is a a high access to opportunity within the city. Because if we are enabling more housing to occur within the city, we wanna make sure that housing is located in a place where people can be successful. So for instance, having access to transit or having access to high quality uh, schools or parks, So much of this work is based on academic research that was done by Professor Lisa Bates from Portland State University. Uh, This this, uh, approach has been used by the city of Portland, as well as by the entire state of Oregon on some of their middle housing uh, um, mandates that recently came out. So there's an established precedent here. We're not using the exact same approach, but there are elements of the approach that are based on this research. And where we're going to land is with a strategy typology. This typology, again, will be mapped. So we'll be able to see what areas of the city have these characteristics. And based on how vulnerable an area is, how much change it's currently exhibiting, and what the access to opportunity is in an area, it will suggest to us different ways of applying a middle housing policy and different preemptive strategies that can Um, mitigate displacement risk. And just as a kind of general idea of what that might look like, in addition to looking at different areas of the city and thinking about where to potentially apply and not apply the middle housing policies, we'll also be able to uh, link those different areas to different types of strategies. Uh, We've already started collecting these strategies, but we'll be discussing them um, as we go through the project uh, to further refine what we think is most appropriate so that's the end of my presentation i um, happy to answer questions um, and i'll pass it back to uh, Nguyen I think
4: yeah thank you Alex and uh, Matali um, great presentation so yes we're, we're going to open up the floor i'm uh, happy to answer any questions or um, know any comments uh, any of you commissioners might have
1: Thank you Nguyen and um, to the presenters as well. We'll first go to public comments and get some input from the public. Um, Madam Clerk, do we have any members of the public who wish to speak on this item?
0: Thank you, Chair. I do not see any hands raised for this item.
1: Thank you very much. We'll now bring the discussion back to the commission and commissioners Um, looking for hands raised for any questions or comments uh, for the staff and consultants. Commissioner Colville.
14: Chair, Um, thank you for the presentation. Uh, Very impressed with where you're going with this. I mean, we'll see how it all lands. There's still a lot of work to do. Um, And I myself live in old Greenhaven, in the Greenhaven pocket area. Uh, It was called the Greenhaven 70s when it was being built. And... uh, They did something there that I think is along the lines of what you're talking about. Single family home neighborhoods, but then on every single corner is either a duplex or a halfplex. And I just think it works so well. Um, And that's just a little snippet of what you're talking about. But I just want to say, I think that's a great example right there. What I think a lot of people would not want to see is, say, the rest of that neighborhood is um they're not track homes um they look kind of like track homes but most of them are different builders uh similar floor plans but not track um but m- 90 probably 98 percent of them are uh single family homes uh one story places what wouldn't look good and probably wouldn't go well with people in that area would be okay let's say a house um burns down or needs to be torn down or something. And then all of a sudden a fourplex is built right in the middle of the um, block. Um, that to me wouldn't, wouldn't work. And that would start to disrupt um, good neighborhoods. Um, but I just thought I'd go along uh, and give you that example and of how I think it's, it um, goes along with what you're trying to do. So thank you. Thank you, very
1: much, Commissioner Colville. Um, sorry, I was getting some feedback. Um, did staff want to comment or respond to Commissioner Colville's comments?
4: Um, well, thank you very much, Commissioner Colville. Uh, Colville. Um, we, we've heard many of those same concerns from our outreach and uh, you know, that's, that's the uh, intention of the study is to study those concerns and um, you know, explore different ways, different mechanisms that the city can employ to reduce some of those impacts.
1: Thank you. Uh, thank you. And uh, we'll next go on to Commissioner Boyd.
2: Thank you, Chair. Uh, I do have a couple of questions. Um, will it say. Miss I must mess up your name and I do apologize and apologize in advance. Gangali. Uh,
12: that was actually perfect, but you can just call me Mithali and I'm very comfortable with that. So thank you.
2: I mean, Ganguly was easier, but Natalia, thank you. My question is, the in, in your presentation, you showed how, uh, what was the word used? Gentle, the high density builds would look um, in a neighborhood. My question to you is, what neighborhood did you use for the example?
12: This was a generic example, the graphic that I showed. But essentially, the way we um, you know, uh, anticipate this working out for Sacramento is, again, it would be an interspersing of missing middle types along with existing single-family homes. And uh, the intent is that when you walk past a home, unless you really are careful about counting the mailboxes or the number of utility meters, oftentimes you won't even perceive or be able to instantly recognize whether you're walking past a duplex or, frankly, even a fourplex or a single-family home. So, the idea is that, and again, these things will get refined and decided further down the line over the next few months. But uh, by controlling the overall built uh, form and massing and scale, is in our experience the best way to achieve several uh, objectives. You know, we control uh, the compatibility factor that the new build, whether it's even a fourplex or a fiveplex, has the shape and the massing, which is compatible with an adjacent single-family home. It may look like a slightly larger home, but it will still look like a home. And another thing is that uh, by effectively controlling the overall form, we're also ending up in the multifamily units inside being inherently smaller and thereby more attainable. So both these criteria would really play into the way we would anticipate this happening across Sacramento. There may be slightly different approaches for certain key, um, like focus areas, so to speak. For example, uh, there may be an infill site or like, say, a strip mall site, which is uh, alongside a major street, but there is a residential neighborhood behind it, but the infill um, opportunities there are high because the strip mall is very highly underused. It's got a huge parking lot, which is never full. Maybe some the businesses have gone out of business and they just shut. So it's, uh, it's honestly not the most positive um, environment like for the neighborhood. So in such a scenario, for instance, we can even consider missing middle housing as part of creating a mixed-use node, which is again at that neighborhood scale. But uh, what it is doing is to uh, create like a very uh, subtle transition from the slightly higher intensity potentially along the street to the lower intensity form, which is in the residential neighborhood. So at all times, irrespective of where we use different types of missing middle types to create different environments, but adjacency and compatibility are key considerations.
2: Yeah, I appreciate that answer. Um, To my point, the representation that you use of the neighborhood, the housing were of the size of the high density builds and um, for a fact of matter that over 520,000 residents of the workforce, which is more than 50% of the workforce in the entirety of uh, Sacramento County, make $2,000 or less, i.e. they would not be able to afford that size house to which your presentation showed the gentle um, introduction of high density build. So to that, with um, just using a uh, number I'm grabbing, somebody can correct it, let's say 90% of Sacramento would not live in neighborhoods such as uh, in your presentation, which I would say is misleading um, for those who would be unaware um, of the actual income levels for the city, uh, excuse me, both city level and the entirety of Sacramento County. So to that, if your presentation would show these high-density builds, there was one um, photo that you did show, a. Um, it was the not-wanted stacked high-density build, which did look kind of uh, atrocious, but you could see next to- again.
12: Yeah, you can take a look and tell me. Is this a slide you were referring to Commissioner?
2: No, that was the um, hidden parking. You don't have to show the picture. Um, I'm just giving uh, for reference. But it was it was a uh, picture that is not wanted that type of build, the stacked uh, build, and it did show next to the uh, one level. Um, let's say ninety percent of Sacramento neighborhoods, what ninety percent of Sacramento neighborhoods look like. So uh, even if that high build was not a stacked unit, but a um, build in one of the what the city is calling acceptable builds, it would stand out like a sore thumb. So to my point, to present these high-density builds as if they would fit in gently in 90% of Sacramento neighborhoods is atrocious. So with that, just I just wanted to make clear to those who aren't aware of um, the high percentage of neighborhoods that don't look like the representation that you presented. And two, um, thank you for your... uh, um, uh, Presentation though, and to Mr. Stein, Steinberger, in regards to RENA numbers, there was a presentation given by Mark Vervel, who is a part of the City of Santa Monica's audit uh, subcommittee, that his findings on the actuality of HCD's methodology to come to its RENA numbers. Can be watched online at the city, uh, excuse me, at the Metaview Neighborhood Association's uh, website, which is Sacramento. M is in Mary, N is in Nancy, A is in Apple.org. And it explains away the. I'm looking for the best word here. I'll just keep, I'll just stay with the word methodology of how HCD came to its numbers to which boil down through his presentation and his findings are pretty much a made up number. Uh, Again, everybody has the opportunity to watch that YouTube video and Mark's presentation. He comes in at about one hour and 11 minutes in and he goes for about an hour and a half Um, Again, Sacramento MNA.org his presentation and um, Michael Brown out of the city of, I want to say Santa Rosa has a presentation on the catalyst website to which you can, listen to his presentation in regards to rena numbers as well all that to say so everybody has a um, uh, here's both sides of the story versus the mantra which is from the governor's office down more and more and more but as his numbers came out at 2.4 million houses needed which he quickly withdrew and brought it down to i believe 1.4 million or 1.3 million but as the national or the white house numbers came out and said well nationwide we only need 1.4 million somebody's numbers are off just again to give a counterpoint and information for those who would like to um, address that but thank you chair that's all i have
1: thank you commissioner boyd uh, commissioner excuse me vice chair
10: wallace i have a question for um for mr steinberg from uh cascadia um and sort of related to what Commissioner Boyd is talking about, which is sort of, how do we know exactly how many households we need to provide um, housing for that are in danger of displacement? So I'm just sort of wondering how, what, what's the methodology going to be um, for what, what areas get protected? I've actually tried to do this. <laughs> From the city of Sacramento um, through a group that I used to be a part of. And um, finding the data and and getting it to show up rapidly enough to be effective um, to prevent displacement was the big challenge that we um, encountered. And I'm sure I don't have a PhD, so I'm sure that there are more sophisticated methods, but um, I'm curious what we will
5: do to make sure that we're capturing that. It's difficult to say how much displacement is likely to occur under any scenario whether it's don't implement any policy at all and just let whatever's been happening continue to happen or um or to to allow middle housing citywide or in certain neighborhoods um we can we can try to estimate relative impact of different policy, different ways of applying the policy um the city of portland in their residential infill project, which, if you're interested in this sort of stuff, is a great place to look for um, one way to implement middle housing. They did some estimates of how much displacement might occur under various scenarios of applying middle housing uh, policies in, in certain neighborhoods. And it's possible that we may look at some of those approaches, um, but we have not yet settled on on whether or not that's that's gonna be part of this project. But in any case, we will have mapped where the most vulnerable populations are and where displacement is already occurring. And so we can look at that relative to where we may wanna apply uh, this policy.
1: Thank you, Vice Chair. Uh, next we have commissioner
3: Chase uh, Thank you chair um, I uh, participated I think it was the October 21st workshop uh, on on this a while back and and I want to thank and congratulate Nguyen, Mitali, Rashawn, Alex everyone that was involved in that I think for a great presentation and a great great workshop uh, It's excellent and I think well overdue uh, missing middle challenges uh, is a great one. Speaking of challenges, I, I, I come up with a few challenges as we move forward, and I, I certainly want us to do so. Um, we, you know, we've had much discussion, and a lot of it's regarding costs, much discussion regarding fees, and we need to reduce city fees and everything. And, and I think I agree with that as former building official, um, but I don't think that's the most significant factor here. Uh, what happens is we go down. Uh, you know, one of the ways for affordability that we're looking at is smaller units, uh, higher density, smaller units. Unfortunately, as the smaller units go down, the cost per square foot of those units goes up because we're spreading the cost of the expensive portions of a dwelling, you know, kitchens and bathrooms over a smaller total square footage. So uh, there's a challenge there as that cost goes up. And I think we're seeing that in the uh, uh, the ADU costs. Uh, they are very high. Um, you know, they're a great tool to add to it, but people that I know that have uh, you know either have built or are considering building the adus uh, are finding them again per square foot very expensive um the the big issue as i see it is that we lost redevelopment uh and the tax increment financing what a number of years back uh by uh, governor brown's uh, action and to me, that has been one of the most significant things. Since that has gone away, the ability to not have tax increment finan- financing available for projects puts affordable housing uh, on the same footing as you know market rate housing. There's no difference in the cost uh, you know per square foot to to, to build those units. Um, so I find myself wondering, and, and I have to a perfect example of that type of financing was. Uh, I was one of the original owners in a uh, development called Metro Square in the heart of Midtown, uh, built in 1999. Uh, just a, a wonderful development. I think it came out about 22 units per acre, uh, but it was only made possible because of redevelopment um, funding. And uh, yeah, it's been difficult. We've seen other developers try to do more affordable by just reducing the unit size, you know, way, way down. And that is one one means to do it. But I think my my question to everyone here, as we move forward, is how do we address costs going forward uh, without redevelopment or any similar tools uh, to to you know make these uh, housing costs realistic and affordable? Anyone?
4: Anyone? <laughs> Well, thank you for your question, uh, Commissioner Chase. Uh, I'll, I'll attempt to respond to your question, and, and Mitali and Alex, feel free to chime in as well. Um, I would say it's it's important to note, uh, if I may, um, that um, single-family homes are the most expensive housing types um, to rent and to buy, and if we keep that in mind, um, yes, new missing middle housing, or new units in general, any new unit, at, at the construction cost, at the... Um, a labor cost, um, you know, right now um, in our market, it's gonna, it's going to have to be passed down to the consumer, to the uh, buyer, and so it's going to, going to be um, expensive, yes. Um, but as Alex presented in his uh, presentation, um, uh, there's been, there's a lot of research coming out of uh, uh, universities and researchers that are showing that the construction of market-rate housing does apply a downward pressure on overall housing costs, um, and it may not be the actual unit that's being built. Uh, they they will not be regulated affordable housing, no. Um, but building more housing units have, have been shown to uh, reduce um, the overall cost um, to buy and to rent housing. Um, Over, you know, it's, it's, not, it's not a silver bullet. It's not going to solve the issue overnight, but over a period of time, it will put downward pressure um, based off of the research um, that Alex shared. Um, if, if you want to chime in, Alex.
5: Yeah, no, I, I agree with everything you said. Um... The middle housing is not going to solve uh, the affordability crisis on its own. It's just one tool out of many tools that need to be brought in. Um, you have to, I think Nuan hinted at this a little bit, but you have to consider what, what's happening now without any intervention. And that is that in most of these, these areas where we might consider applying this policy, the only thing you can build is a single family home or a single family home with an ADU. And those are right now in the current market going to be, if they're newly built, the biggest, most expensive single-family homes that a developer can get away with. You see this happening in most cities where only single-family home development is allowed. If you increase the range of possibilities in that zone, yes, the units that get built may not be uh, capital A affordable to someone making 60% or less of area median income, but they will be more attainable than that very large single-family home. Um, and that's that's really what, what we're hoping for on the one side. And then as Glenn said, just increasing supply generally across the city is gonna bring housing costs down for everyone. It's not overnight, takes time, but eventually unkinking that supply kink that we've created for ourselves in the city and in cities across the country is critical.
3: Thank you. Thank you for your input and your comments. And again, great great study. I look
1: forward to this moving forward. Thank you, Nguyen and Alex, and thank you, Commissioner Chase. I see Commissioner Boyd.
2: Thank you, Chair. I actually did have one more question. In the presentation, I think it was Nguyen Nguyen in his presentation that stated um, in, in, I missed the area, but in certain areas, the high-density build would lower surrounding housing property value values. Um, Which area, or is that a blanket for anywhere where these high-density builds would come in, would lower the housing property value?
4: Um, Thank you for your question, Commissioner Boyd. Um, I don't believe my presentation uh, showed um, a a statistic or an example that uh, aligns with what you're describing. Um, Alex, do, do you, maybe it was your presentation perhaps?
5: It, it was, wow. yeah. So as part of our, our review of recent research on this topic, we found that five out of the six studies that we reviewed uh, showed that when new market rate housing was built in an area, and that these are studies from across the country, but some are, are from California, Bay Area, and Los Angeles, um, they they observed uh, downward pressure on existing rents in those areas in existing buildings. Now, mind you, this is again it's not it's not a that alone does not create affordability, but it does decrease the amount of pressure on all of the other rental units in that area. And we see that effect from these studies primarily on more expensive rental housing. So this the study's not telling us that just creating more supply is the, the thing that's gonna solve our problems, but it does show us that it decreases that pressure and starts to bring rents down at least in one income category.
2: Thank you for that. Maybe I misheard you in your presentation where I thought you stated it brings down housing, the surrounding housing value versus to your point now saying bringing down the pressure on uh, rent to significantly different things. I'll just have to relook at the presentation. That's why I asked the question. Thank you. Thank you, Chair.
1: Thank you, Commissioner Boyd. Um, I don't see, oh, I see Commissioner Chase.
3: Thank you, Chair. Um, One last question. Um, When redevelopment was uh, disbanded, if you will, by Governor Brown um, a number of years back, I don't know, 2012, 13, 14, um, there was an indication uh, that a replacement would be brought forward at some point in time. Again, we have not seen a replacement brought forward. Has there been any consideration of this process going forward to uh, advocate for legislation to bring back a tool or to address the uh, redevelopment uh, financing issues? Sorry, go ahead. Did did, I saw that Matt
1: came on? Okay, go ahead, Matt.
11: Yes, good afternoon, Uh, Mr. Chase Matt Hurdle, Long Range Planning Manager. Yeah, thank you for the question. And I was working in redevelopment at the time, it was disbanded, so very familiar with that. And yes, there's been um, desires from folks throughout the state looking at different financing tools. I would say uh, there's always interest at the state level of exploring various uh, tools and and financing funding for affordable housing. One specifically that the City of Sacramento has been uh, working to implement and has been at the state level is the enhanced infrastructure financing district which uh, communities can set up in a localized area that works in a lot of ways like uh, the tax increment used to do where you trap an increase in, in uh, taxes there to be spent in that area and we passed a policy as part of our housing element that would require anytime the city up an eifd or enhanced infrastructure financing district that 20 percent of those funds go to affordable housing so, you've seen that actualized. Uh, for example, we're looking at a potential EIFD in Stockton Boulevard uh, around you know, Aggie Square. That, that kind of we have another housing fund program to really explore this, and we'll continue to look uh, permanently uh, to how we can um, be creative uh, financing and funding mechanisms for affordable housing.
1: Matt, your connection was a little jumbled there, but I think we were able to hear most of that. Commissioner Chase, did you have any follow-up questions?
3: No, I didn't. Yeah, uh, you, we're go- I think I got most, <laughs> most of the intent, though. So thanks very much, Matt.
1: Thank you, Commissioner Chase. Commissioners, any further questions or comments for staff or, and the team on the missing middle housing study? Seeing no hands raised um, Nguyen really appreciate the work that you're doing on this um, and your entire team um, thank you we're all really excited about this I want to continue to be a part of the discussion and, and hear further updates in the future this is really important and um, uh, I, I align with a lot of the sensitivities and questions that my fellow commissioners raised as well um, so I, I think if there's no other feedback um, for that you would like from us um, there is no vote required for this item and um we look forward to to hearing more about the missing middle in the near future um so we can now move on to the next item which is commissioner comments ideas and questions um again thank you nguyen and team um i I do i want to raise two issues for the public and two um points for my fellow commissioners um just a reminder to the public that we have um Uh, so much fun on the planning and design commission and there are vacancies so if um, you're interested in in applying to become a planning commissioner alongside us, um, please do take a look at the city website um, and and submit your application. Also a reminder to members of the public who are logged on and um, watching um, online that as we mentioned earlier today that um, we do have a planning academy available for residents and business owners. Um, And so please um, feel free to apply to that too. This is a free 11 course program to engage with the city and community leaders about um, community planning and development. Um, so, more information is also on the City of Sacramento Community Development website. Um, for my fellow commissioners, um, December 8th is our final um, Planning Commission meeting for the calendar year. Um, if you haven't, please review any archive videos of the items that have been continued and you happen to be absent, or just to refresh your memory for the discussion and questions that we have, um, as well as, you know. Keep my, my second point for my fellow commissioners is that um, so perhaps we can start thinking about um, this new ordinance that's come into place on boards and commissions and what if any subcommittees that we want to request. I know parking was already um, discussed so perhaps a question for, for staff and perhaps the city attorney's office as well. Um, what is the next step in order to Um, put in a request to the Lawn Ledge Committee on establishing a subcommittee on parking. Um, Do we need to agendize this item? Um, So I I see Greg came on video.
6: Um, I'm gonna be meeting with Courtney, possibly the clerk's office to to figure out the the exact process, what are the parameters um, with such a committee, whether it's permanent, temporary, um, and uh, I can report back to the commission on that.
1: Great, thank you very much, Greg. Um, so those are my points and comments um, for commissioner questions, ideas, and comments. And I see commissioner Boyd also has his hand raised. Go
2: ahead. Thank you, chair. You actually uh, took the question out of my mouth uh, to what I was going to ask, which you just your last question to um, uh, director um uh, What are the next steps? And uh, uh, Greg, if you would just, if you could narrow it, uh, not narrow it, but give us a window of when we would expect an answer from you in regards to what next steps are.
6: I think uh, December eighth might be a bit quick, but um, I uh, in the next January commission, I can get back to you. If not, I can um, if not sooner, with a uh, some type of memo, playing out the process.
2: Thank you. I appreciate that. Thank you, Chair.
1: Thank you, Commissioner Boyd, and I. And I, I should have um, uh, initially started with asking uh, you, Commissioner Boyd, Commissioner Chase, Commissioner Coville, Commissioner Lindsay, and Commissioner Pluckybaum, as you guys were the the core team on the ad hoc that is um, dismantling uh, at the end of the year. So um, look forward to, to that update, Greg. Um, and that's all I have. I don't see additional hands raised from my fellow commissioners. So thank you all for making time uh, on a Thursday morning for this special meeting. Uh, we can go back and continue our daily lives and watch the world cup. That concludes today's agenda. This meeting is adjourned. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye,